1: Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitts. Today, we are recapping the opening of the season win for the Kansas Jayhawks against South Dakota, the Coyotes. Uh, to help me do that, as he will be doing every week this this uh, year for the season, it is Mike Plank, the Editor-in-Chief over at Rock Chalk Talk. Mike, how are you doing today?
0: Well, I'm doing all right, Andy. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? I'm
1: doing pretty good. I, I'm definitely feeling a whole lot better than I could be, considering Kansas was able to pull off the win and not be upset by you know, and an and FCS team that regardless of what you think about how good they are, you know, they do play in the best FCS conference there is. So they have to at least be decent. But
0: I guess they do, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm just glad that that Kansas was not the reason the Big Twelve did not go undefeated uh for the first week. Like it would have been bad if we were the only ones and losing to a, a team that we honestly should have should have beat. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of things that happened that uh, weren't necessarily so great, but we did get out there with the win, you know, with the first game of the Lance Leipold era being a victory. That is probably the most important thing. They could have been a whole lot worse. So, uh, but Mike, you were there. I was there. What was your general thoughts about the game? Like either the, the game itself or the environment that was actually, you know what? I want to start there. The environment there at the game. I honestly was a little bit surprised by by how much energy there was at different times of the game. What was your overall feel from from actually attending this game and how the Lance Leipold era started?
0: Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm going to say I was impressed. Um, I was mostly impressed with the student section over there on the east side. They stayed for the entire game. And I don't, I don't know if there was enough uh, attendance. I think official attendance was a little over 26,000. Um, I don't know if there was enough there to actually affect anything on the field, but you know it got it got louder than it has been for the last two years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There was, yeah. There was
1: three false start penalties that I could directly attribute to the crowd um, on Uh, on South Dakota. um, we we, or, or we had sorry.
0: our fair share of false start penalties, true, too. True, we're not attributable to the crowd. No, so. I'm, sorry, I'm
1: sorry. Let me rephrase. There was one false start and then two delay of games where it looked like they were trying to figure out what they were doing, trying to get the calls in, that they were having difficulty. I saw several coaches who were absolutely screaming, trying to get stuff across to the South Dakota players that weren't able to do it. So there, there was definitely loud enough, especially like right there on the sideline, that, that it helped. Yes, it wasn't the completely sure. raucous environment that you really, really right. had, are hoping to get at some point back, but it was definitely a lot better than it has been in the last few seasons.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely true. I, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, I've, I've definitely heard Memorial louder too. Uh, again, it was a little over half full, so right, right, wasn't completely intimidating, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how much of a factor they were. The coaches said they were, but of course they're going to say that after the game, they oh, want to compliment the fans and get them to come back and whatever. But, right. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, but overall, yeah, it was a, it was a good environment. The, Like I said, the student section was loud. They stayed there all game, um, which, you know, they tend to leave at halftime. That didn't happen, uh, Friday night. Um, and the alumni side, you know, the West side, it's, it's always pretty, uh, full. Uh, so, you know, there's not really much of a change there, but, uh, but yeah, I was, uh, I was happy with the environment and, and I was glad for the, for the fans. And, you know, they, they made noise when they needed to make noise and, and, uh, Yeah, I don't know what else
1: there is to say about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I thought having been there as recently as last season, the Iowa State game, um, you could tell it was just a completely different environment. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of people that were were ready to buy in, were ready to just celebrate something happening. And, you know, there were times where it looked like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be another, you know, stinker of a game where Kansas is not going to be playing very well at all. That, yeah, the energy in the crowd wasn't necessarily there. People were getting restless. There was a lot of questionable calls, especially in that first half uh, in terms of what Kansas tried to do. So there's definitely things to work on, Um, you know, and I could feel the crowd getting a little bit restless. But once they came out in the second half, you could tell that the energy of the players was different and the crowd really started to feed off of that. It got to be a fairly raucous crowd there in the second half. Um, Obviously, it it could have been even more, but. I thought it was actually a really good environment, a really good start to the landslide pulled era. At least getting fan engagement. I'm hoping that came across on the broadcast, although from what I understand there were some technical difficulties with the broadcast from from what my kids were saying watching back at home. So, um, you know, who knows if that's if that actually came through. Hopefully though Kansas will be able to build off of this. Now, the next game coming up is not going to be one that's going to be <laughs> too too spectacular for them to build a lot of momentum off of, but you know, it's definitely one of those things where You know, you, you got the win. You really can enjoy that at this point, you know, breathe a sigh of relief and and kind of move on from that point. So I do want to talk about the game itself. So let's jump in. Um, Obviously, Jason being, being announced as the starter prior to the game, like a day and a half before the game was, was, was pretty big. I had been led to believe well, and and I think almost everybody kind of assumed that, you know, with them going with the quote unquote consistency uh, mantra there that, that Miles Kendrick, was the leader in the clubhouse for a really, really long time. You've got to be encouraged by the fact that Jason Bean was able to win the starting job because I don't I don't get the feeling that they would have named Bean as the starter unless they were confident that he was going to be able to be as consistent as some of the other players that were there. So your thoughts on Jason Bean as a starter and, and kind of what he did throughout the night?
0: Uh, obviously, he played well. Um, he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't have any fumbles. He didn't have throw any interceptions. Uh, he's not the most accurate passer. Um, right, there was a, couple saw that of throws a few times. In- <laughs> Yeah, we saw a a few throws into the ground, uh, even when guys looked to be open or whatever. Um, And I assume this is more of a a factor of, you know, play calling or game planning or maybe a combination of those, but we never saw any shots down the field. His longest completion was only 20 yards, and I at least I don't recall any deep posts or deep outs or flies or anything like that where Kansas tried to get over the top and and take a shot down the field. I did notice South Dakota safeties were – 10 yards away from the line of scrimmage almost all night long so we, yeah. we never tried to get behind it. and and again probably a combination of game planning probably a combination of that's how the game was going type of deal but uh and maybe it, maybe that shows lack of trust in the offensive line a little bit still you know I I, I don't know what that was but uh they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna have to start doing some more of that if if they want to score more than 17 points a game. Yeah,
1: it, it, it seemed to be a few things to me. First of all, they were definitely super run heavy in the first half because it was almost like they wanted to ease people in and you know get people i used to the idea of how this offense was working and, and kind of get someone into a groove before they really started taking deep shots, which I think worked against them a little bit because South Dakota realized that really early and was able to just yeah. load up the box. And, you know, Jason Bean didn't throw his first pass. Well, I'm sorry. He threw a pass on the first drive because it was a third and like nine. Um, And that was wildly inconsistent. Like you said, he was way out of bounds. Uh, But, you know, it was one of those things like they didn't really start committing to throwing it routinely until they got into the second half, which was a problem. Um, But it was also kind of one of those things. You know, it was in in the fourth quarter. I think they had one deep shot where, you know, he threw the ball and it was about 35 yards down the field and it was incomplete because it was off. Um, but yeah, they definitely didn't try to test it deep. And, and I do think that part of that was getting Bean comfortable, you know, leaning on his, his particular strengths to get him going and then trying to build from there. We saw a lot of Jason Bean running. He, he was a leading rusher. He had, you know, 50, 54 yards on 15 carries, which isn't a great, you know, amount, um, it, especially since you don't really want your quarterback running that much. Uh, but you know, it was kind of one of those things where, with the way that the line was was protecting and, and kind of letting guys through at certain points, he he did have to do a little bit more running than I really kind of wanted him to do. But I also think part of that, again, is it seems to be that there's a lot of issues still in a game situation, trying to get that consistency, trying to get those guys to gel and really build that coherence that you need on that offensive line. I'm thinking that they're going to be able to get that, you know, better in the next few weeks, but obviously the competition ramps up as well. So you kind of have to hope that it's going to get better a lot quicker. Than then it seemed to be doing so the, the one thing I will say, though, you know, I, I do want to jump to the one receiver that I thought did a really, really good job. Actually, I, I guess there was two Mason Fairchild had some spectacular catches. Uh, there was the one on the sideline for a first down where he like one arm did out on the sideline. I thought he was out looking at it live. Um, you know, I was really surprised when they actually ruled that he caught that, but it, it was a fantastic catch and he had a couple big catches down the, you know, down the stretch there. Lawrence Arnold did a really good job with both of his two touchdown receptions, but Trevor Wilson, I thought had some pretty big receptions that really helped to keep drives going. Um, any of those particular guys that you, that, that you want to highlight or, or talk about, or, I mean, I almost think it's even more impressive that the guys that we expected in, in Kwame Lassiter, um, you know, uh, Luke Grimm, like those guys weren't the big receiving threats that we thought they were going to be, which means that they're, they're getting a lot more, I think, contribution from, a bunch of different players in this receiving court.
0: Yeah. uh, Trevor Wilson was definitely clutch, especially in that fourth quarter on that, on that game winning drive. Uh, I think he had a couple of big receptions on just on that one drive. Um, And you already talked about uh, Lawrence Arnold's two touchdowns, you know, (laughs) not much to really say about those. If you go back and watch the replay of the game winning touchdown, like kind of in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, why didn't they call offensive pass interference on that? Just the way that the receivers kind of ran their roots and rubbed the defenders off of one another. I'm just like, "Uh, eh, a little questionable. So go back and take a look at that." Um, yeah, I but, did. Uh, I mean, it was definitely <laughs> one of those things
1: that they could have called and and to be honest, the way that they, you know, were calling the game, there were some some bad spots that really kind of hurt Kansas a lot. Um but yeah, I I definitely was like waiting for the other shoe to drop for them to like yeah. throw the flag there. But you know, I, I think that was kind of my biggest takeaway from the from the refereeing was it was very inconsistent. Uh, I don't think it really favored one side more than the other, but there were some really no, crucial calls that they missed on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I think ultimately, though, well, they, they, they probably got it right overall, but it was def- definitely maddening to watch that, especially live.
0: And and even the targeting penalty there, if we're talking about that final drive, even that targeting penalty, like, that was a late flag. Like, how does that flag not come out immediately? Like, that was yeah. so... Well, it was obvious. funny. It, it, it was funny because they, they called that as a late hit with
1: targeting. And, and to be honest, I don't think the hit was late. Like he came in right as, I mean, as he was sliding, Bean was starting. Though. Well, right, but he he like left his feet and came at him right as Bean was going into the slide. So like I I wouldn't have necessarily thought that they would have called the late hit, but it was definitely a targeting. I mean, they took his, his, you know, shoulder pad right into his face mask. So like, there's right, no right. way that you, you don't get at least the targeting, but, but the fact that it took so long for them to get that call, you know, and I mean, there were some other things there were, there was that that fourth down that Kansas went for that didn't get, but they spotted him almost a full yard back from where they originally spotted it and where he clearly got to, like, there was some, there were some big issues with that. And it wouldn't have been like enough for me to say that, they would, you know, if they hadn't won, that it was, oh my gosh, the refs really gypped them, but it was definitely enough that it was noticeable during the game that Kansas benefited from a few calls. They got hurt really bad by a few calls. It was just, it was inconsistent enough that it was noticeable, but it definitely wasn't a main driver for any of those, for, for, for the actual outcome of the game.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. But, and you know, we've gotten used to that. <laughs> right. I mean, right. everybody complains about the officials, you know, the the winning team, the losing team, like it's, it's college. Oh, of, of, it, of is, course. it is what it is at this point. It's, it's probably never going to get any better.
1: Well, I mean, and it was a big 12 reffing crew. So, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's memes about the big 12 refs for a reason. So, yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. So the other, the other kind of big storyline and maybe kind of for the wrong reasons, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about Voughton Gardner's line, 19 carries for only 21 yards. Um, the question I have for you though, is do you think that that was, well, what, what do you think was the biggest contributor to that? Because I, I saw a lot of different things there. It seemed like the offensive line had problems. Gardner didn't seem to be making very good cuts for whatever reason in, in some cases, but I thought the play calling was a little unimaginative for how to get Gardner involved. So do you think that one of those things was bigger than the others or, or was it just that everything that could go wrong for Gardner went wrong?
0: Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a definitely a combination of all those factors. Um, obviously Kay used to- trying to establish this new run heavy identity. Right. And they're doing this zone read running scheme. And, uh, you know, they don't fall practice is only 20 practices. Is that right? I think that's right. Somewhere in there. And there, And, you know, no spring ball, not with this coaching staff anyway, no, not with this offensive coordinator, no spring ball. They've had 20 practices since all this offense. So they're literally learning on the fly here. And so that's a factor. Um, you know, the offensive line, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't good, obviously, but I, I don't know that it was the horrible offensive line we saw last year. Right. Uh, but they, but they didn't get any push either, right? Like they, they, they didn't get blown up at the line of scrimmage, but they didn't get any push either. So, you know, South Dakota's making plays right at the line of scrimmage instead of, you know, seven yards in the backfield all night long, um, <laughs> which I guess is an improvement, right? Yeah, But yeah, uh, sure. but, but yeah just, I think just a factor of I mean, it's a new offense, it's a new scheme. Um, you know, they haven't had that much time to practice it. Uh, the offensive line is still improving; it's still gelling. Like they have three new starters on the offensive line this year, I think. Um, so yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's going to take some time transfers. The,
1: yeah, <laughs> you know, well, so. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's going to take some time to get the to get the run game going. Hopefully, they can. But now, the the bright side of that though is they have. They have something on film against an opponent that they can study you know, during the week and say, okay, you should have done this, you should have done this, you should have done that better or whatever. So hopefully there will be a big improvement between week one and week two. But uh, obviously, we just kind of have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, the other thing that I thought was, was kind of reassuring, because I actually did go back and look, because I was really curious about what it was offensive line-wise that was a problem. It didn't appear to be anything where, you know, and, and South Dakota's defensive line has some big guys on it. But it wasn't a case of, Kansas's offensive line was getting run over and, get, and they were getting through that way. It seemed to be miscommunication or poor technique. Like It was things that are fixable and not just an issue of our guys not being big enough. Kansas is one of the smallest offensive lines in in the power five. Um, you know, it's definitely an, an issue that they have that they don't have a lot of big beefy offensive line talent, which in, in some cases is not necessarily a bad thing, depending on how, on how you do your run blocking and, and all the scheme and everything. But for what they were trying to do, you know, it, it wasn't that they were getting run over. Uh, which still may end up being an issue with some of the bigger defensive lines that they go up against in the Big 12. But, you know, it, it didn't appear to be a, a size issue. It was a, man, we really need to teach them a little bit better how to actually execute the things that we want, which are things that are fixable. It's not something where you have to spend six months bulking up in the weight room to really see a notable difference. It's a, we can teach these guys the right techniques. We can make sure that they're communicating cor- correctly, being at the right spots, all of that stuff. Things that they can teach throughout the course of the season, so we can start to see that improvement. You know, it's not it's not like a oh my gosh, all hope is lost like last year where guys were just getting run over throughout the entire season.
0: Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely.
1: All right. So, um, any other thoughts about the offense?
0: Uh, I well, we hit run game and pass game. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> guess pretty I, much got off
1: it. I guess my only other thought was I was surprised that Devin Neal only got one carry. I, I, oh, the, but
0: yeah, that's a good point. I expected more out of him as well. And again, must have been a game plan type of deal. Uh, I don't know. I don't. And see, I don't know that anybody did anybody any of the reporters asked about that in the post game. I didn't hear any questions along those yeah, lines. Yeah, maybe, I, maybe I, I just missed it. I don't know.
1: I didn't see anything. But I, I'm going to be honest with all, with the other stuff I have going on. I wasn't necessarily paying super close attention. I'll have to go back and take a look at the articles and stuff to yeah. see. But I, I mean, I was surprised with with all of the running backs that they have in the room you know, Velton Gardner, Devin Neal, Amari, Pesek Hickson, um, you know, high uh, shot. Like they have a whole bunch of different guys that we are expecting to see from the guy, you know, after Velton Gardner and then Jason Bean getting a ton of carries, the next guy was Lachlan, who, who is a quarterback on this team that was converted into a running back, it seems for this team. So with all the hype there was around the running back room, I'm surprised that they converted a, Q- a QB to be the net, you know, kind of the second guy in terms of rushing from the running right. back. Well, position.
0: And you're- and here's why, though we found out after the game um, that, and I think it was was it it was either twenty four seven or it was dot com reported, that highshaw is actually going to be out. He's going to miss the rest of the year. Some kind of injury that he suffered in camp. He had surgery.
1: Oh crap! I completely um, so, missed. So that. Hi,
0: yeah, highshaw's gone. Um, I just learned about it after the game, obviously. And uh, Hickson is also dealing with a camp injury, but he they I guess they expect him back at some point. So. Hickson and Hyshaw were out with injuries And so that's I think that's why we saw Lachlan although you know I guess to your point earlier like why didn't We see a little bit more Devin Neal at that point you know
1: Yeah exactly I mean That that is a little weird I would have expected us to see more From other people I'm wondering the well Lachlan doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who replaces What Shaw or You know Pesek Hickson does like so I'm a little Surprised that he's the guy (laughs) that ended up Being number two um you know it's definitely something to keep an eye on makes you wonder kind of what's going on there Kansas is going to have to get more more variety like i think that was my biggest issue and and of course a lot of that has to do with um kind of just really what they were doing and and kind of that abbreviated timeline like you're talking about in terms of practices to get stuff you know going um you know they have to get more variety there because it was it was pretty obvious early what they wanted to do and it wasn't like they were ready to move away from it when it was pretty obvious that South Dakota was was ready for it Um, so, so that's going to have to change. Obviously coastal Carolina is one of those teams where I I don't know what they can actually add in a week going into Coastal Carolina to really make that any closer than, than it's going to end up being, um, you know, it's going to be a rough game and and we'll kind of talk about that here in a few minutes, but, um, you know, they, they, they have some time to get stuff ready for a team like Baylor or going on the road to Duke, um, you know, or even potentially that homecoming game against Texas tech. Like you want to be building to try to get one of those three games. Um, they're going to have to, Introduce, I think, a lot in order to be super competitive in those games. And so hopefully they can go ahead and do that. Um, you know, it is one of those things, though. There is definitely some hope um, because of how well the defense played. And I do want to talk about that. But before we do that, um, we do have a quick word from our sponsor. Uh, the, the sponsor of the podcast is symbol. You you guys have heard me talk about them a few times, but they they are a stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams, like stocks and earn cash payouts. When your teams win, they blended the sports, they they blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off of your favorite teams. You can use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high and earn cash payouts. When your teams win kind of like I did, you know, I got, I got a huge, well, not a huge payout, but. I did get a payout when Kansas won because I have two shares of KU football. Kind of a long play for me, but that is definitely something you guys can do if you jump in. Um, you know, they, they Symbol is offering a very special giveaway to the entire 1012 Network and us here at the Rob Chuck Podcast. They're going to be holding a drawing to give away two tickets to a Big 12 game of your choice. Um, didn't he see anything in in there about it necessarily having to be a football game for this season. So, um, you know, definitely keep that in mind. It is definitely something that you're going to want to be involved in. If, if you are lucky enough to actually win those, but in, in order to get signed up, all you have to do is sign up for symbol, make a $25 deposit using the promo code chalk 12. Uh, and you can be entered into a chance to win those two tickets to your favorite team's game this season. So just go to www.symbolsimbull.app to create a free account and when you deposit make sure you use the promo code chalk 12 for your chance to win two tickets to a big toy game of your choice all right um actually we are going to jump over to the defense but before we do that i'm going to throw it to a quick break so we can hear a little bit more about some of the other podcasts we have on the network we will be right back on the rock Talk podcast this is brandon phoenix aka i also hate pit joined by my brother Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix, we are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. And we're back. All right. So talking about the defense for this game, because I think that they were really the star of the show and kind of the thing that can give you hope as a Kansas fan for any kind of results that you want to see this season. Um, what were your overall thoughts on the defense this year, or this, this game?
0: Well, that's, uh, it's a little bit of a two-edged sword, right? Because you look at the stats, and they played great. I mean, South Dakota didn't – they only had 260-some-odd yards of total offense, so less than 300 yards of offense. Um, they forced three fumbles. They didn't recover any of them, but they forced three fumbles. Right. Um, I mean – the secondary was always in a position to make plays, and they made the plays when they were in position to make them, you know? And that's a, been a change. Uh, there were a couple of blown coverages that I noticed, but that said, even when that happened, the defensive line was good enough to put pressure on the quarterback that he couldn't find those guys running down right. the field. Um, so, yeah, it was a great defensive performance. Probably the best one since, what would you say, Andy Ruggers a couple years ago, maybe? When yeah. he had those six turnovers? I, I don't know. Um so yeah, there's there's that. But then there's the opposite side of the coin where, oh, it's South Dakota. It's a it's an FCS team that isn't even a ranked FCS team that only won one game last year and how good is the defense really? Well, I so, mean
1: and, and uh, <laughs> if you listen though to the to the preview, like they won one game in a spring season where, you know, they, they played the hardest teams on their schedule and won one of those and then had everybody else back out because of COVID stuff. So like, it's not right. Yeah. I think their record probably would have been better if they had been able to play an entire season in the spring, but it's also one of those things like, you don't you don't really know. They also do play in the most, like it's the sec of S of, of FCS football playing in the Missouri Valley, you know, the conference that has a whole bunch of national championships at that level. So, you know, it's one of those things where yes, they're, they weren't expected to contend for their conference title. They're not a ranked team. But, you know, I feel like they're probably one of those really solid FCS teams that you're going to see year in, year out. You know, they did appear to have some some more size than I really expected them to. Um, and so, like, you know, it's still not it still wouldn't have been an excuse if they had lost the game. Um, but, you know, you hold a team like that to 14 points, you usually have to think that that's pretty good that you're going to win pretty comfortably. So, like, the, the problems that they had, I think, were a whole lot more on the offense than on the defense. I thought the defense did a really good job, held up their end of the bargain. You know, especially in a brand new system like this, you know that there's going to be a player or two where, you know, something's going to happen. There's going to be some miscommunication and someone's going to get burned. It happens all the time, you know, no, no matter what level you're playing at. And so, like, I wasn't that surprised by it. Kansas was very fortunate that it didn't happen, you know, in ways that they were going to get a whole bunch of points scored on them or anything like that. So I, I wouldn't put any of this, honestly, on the defense. Um, I thought that 14 points, like, if, if, if you had told me that, South Dakota was going to score 14 points on the night I would have thought the KU would have won by two or three touchdowns like that's what I expected the offense to be able to do and they just weren't able to do it so like this was kind of an example of the defense not getting any help from the offense like they normally do until the very end of the game and and really this defense doing absolutely everything you can ask them to do to make sure that Kansas had an opportunity to win
0: yeah and both of those uh both of South Dakota touchdowns were on well not long run plays but Uh, one was 25 yards and I think the other was 29 yards. So, I mean, you know, the running back made a play, made a guy miss at the line and then, you know, (laughs) ran to the end zone. I mean, and kind of of to your point just a second ago, like there's going to be plays like that that you're giving up when you're in a brand new system and a brand new coordinator and you've only had 20 practices and whatever. And for KU to limit South Dakota to two big plays on the night like that. And unfortunately, they both went for touchdowns, but that's what gave Kansas the opportunity to win the game just like you said right well you know and
1: and it was one of those things too the running back that you know that actually got both of those big runs for the touchdowns is a Kansas guy Travis Thies uh you know he he actually yes. did come from Kansas um you know and so this was a big game for him he was going to be amped up he figured he was going to make a play or two especially since he's one of their better running backs and so I was fully expecting him to have a play or two you know he got his his plays and they just happened to both be touchdowns and so it's definitely one of those things where you know I'm I'm uh, I wasn't necessarily too shocked by it. I wasn't necessarily too upset by it, but it was one of those things where it would have been nice to have a little bit more of a cushion at that point, so that you didn't have to worry about that being, you know, potentially Kansas losing if they didn't get that late touchdown, that late touchdown there.
0: Right.
1: All right. So, um, any any particular players though that really stood out to you from the defense?
0: Uh, I heard OJ Bro's name called several times. Uh, He had a couple of. uh... Rather impressive, I thought. Pass breakups. Um, and then uh, Kenny Logan. I think he tied for the team lead in tackles. And then he also had that huge uh eighty three yard kickoff return. Uh which right, unfortunately sure. we couldn't score on. We turned the ball over on downs, that's that, He starting in the red zone. But uh like the kickoff return was huge and uh like I say he let the he led the, he tied, I guess, tied for the team lead in tackles with I believe it was seven. But uh right. yeah, he was huge and then uh well Kyron Johnson's strip sack was a big play too. Uh, like I said, you know, even even when they had guys open down the field, the defensive line, did just, especially the two Ds, Kyron Johnson and Malcolm Um uh, They were in the backfield all night long. They were pushing the quarterback out of the pocket. They were harassing, whatever, and they kept him off balance just enough uh, for the for the secondary to recover. And and uh, but yeah, I think OJ Bros probably stands out the most. Uh, just, just on my end, just on the on the couple of, of uh, pass brackets that he
1: had. Yeah, I mean, to to kind of add to additional people, uh, especially along that defensive line, Caleb Taylor had a really, really strong showing. He had two tackles for losses. Um, you know, those actually were his only two tackles, <laughs> but it was <laughs> it was two big plays to kind of keep them uh, to to keep South Dakota from really getting anything going. It was in that string. If 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 I remember correctly, it was in that string of plays where Kansas was just shutting South Dakota down. You know, play after play after play, um, and so it was. It was a really good way, I think, to keep the game from getting out of hand while Kansas was still struggling. Um, but you're right; like those were the guys that really I kind of highlighted with with Kyron Johnson, played phenomenally on on the line. There was in the backfield all the time. Same with Malcolm Lee. Um, but you know, yeah, OJ Burrows was was great. Jason Gilliam did a really good job coming in at safety quite a bit. Um, you know, you didn't really hear at all. Um, from from some of the corners, like the corners weren't really involved too much. And I think part of that was the ability of the quarterback for South Dakota to actually get the ball to the wide receivers out there. And then I think the rest of it was just the fact that, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for them to make tackles because the ball didn't really come their way very much. And so, you know, I I, I didn't hear anything about Jacoby Bryan or any of those guys, like the guys that you're expecting to actually hear from. Um, but really it's just because the ball was never really out that far. Most of the, you know, most of the successful plays for South Dakota were runs or quick passes over the middle. That's why Gavin Potter was also tied for, you know, the lead in terms of tackles because he had a really, really big night. I thought he did a really good job of keeping South Dakota from getting consistent plays over the middle, you know, for big gains. Um, He was in on a lot of those big hits and a lot of those big stops that they had there. So um, yeah, well,
0: the South Dakota quarterback only completed ten passes on the night, so
1: right, yeah, makes it kind of that's, hard. That's,
0: that's, <laughs> that's,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, it was it was definitely one of those things. It was a super run heavy game. Uh, I'm glad that the weather held out, but uh, you know, it was definitely one of those things where there's not a, a gigantic amount of stuff to feel really good about. But it was a, a good, you know, start of the foundation win. Something that you can kind of say, okay, we got those, you know, pregame jitters out of the way we have the first win under our belt now it's about time to go try to find one more so that we can get the over on the season like i think that's the big expectation like everyone expected them to win this one and then anything they won after that was kind of just gravy you know this team is hungry for more you could tell the way that they celebrated the way that the students celebrated with them that this was a really really big win it's going to build a lot of confidence the questions is going to be how long is it going to take for them to kind of turn that into something that every fan can get super excited about and start to see that progress moving forward speaking of celebrations you know, saw a lot of flack online about the student section rushing the field after the game. Um, I have my own thoughts about it, but I kind of want to get your thoughts first. Were you upset about that? Do you think it's fine? Like, what are your thoughts about the students rushing the field after beating an FCS team?
0: I had no problem with it. I mean, I, I thought it was a, a little silly, but like, I get it. You know, you're you're a college student. You're in a football game. Go, go out there celebrate your team and have some fun, right? Like, they haven't won a game and was it 13 tries, I think. Um, and it's, you know, it's the first game of a, of a new head coach and you're trying to change the culture and all that, all that stuff, you know, all that coachy speak type stuff that goes into it. And, and I, it wasn't a rowdy celebration. They weren't trying to, um, you know, taunt yeah. the other team or tear down the goalposts right, or anything right. like that. They did, They just wanted to run out there and celebrate a football win. And you know what? That's fine. Like I, I got no problems with that. I mean, go out and have fun and, and, and be a college student. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't see what the big deal is. Like it's it, let the kids, let the kids play, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and like I said, like, you know, I, I actually said this on, on Twitter shortly after, cause I was getting a little pissed off at some of the people, including some of the people that I work with um, you know, on some of the other stuff that I do getting a little bit upset about the fact that Kansas rushed the field. And it's like, well, okay, wait a minute. It was just a student section. Like rushing the field is an absolutely fantastic, super fun experience that honestly I think every college student should take the opportunity to partake in if they, you know, so choose. Um, Absolutely. Like, who knows if any of these students, well, I should say, especially like the seniors, are going to have another opportunity to do it. So if they weren't in attendance at the last time that Kansas won, back in 2019 at home, um, and, you know, because, because they didn't rush the field at that win, like if you didn't get an opportunity to do it, this may be your last chance. And it is a brand new, you know, regime. It's a brand new everything. Um, like you said, they didn't get super rowdy about it. They weren't, you know, being super ridiculous about it. They literally just wanted an opportunity to go celebrate on the field. I remember when I did it, you know, I did it with that huge win over K-State that kind of broke the streak that we had against Kansas State. Um, I actually still have the pictures from that. Like, it was an absolutely phenomenal, you know, a a phenomenal time. I really enjoyed it. Um, You know, I've done it before, so, like, I didn't need to go rush the field again, but I completely understand the students wanting to do it. You know, and it's one of those things, now that they've done it, you know, unless unless they like go and demolish Baylor or upset Texas Tech on homecoming, which I, I don't even think they'd actually be able to do it on homecoming because of the, the extra security they'll have there. But like if, if they get another big win this year and do it again, I, I say go ahead, go for it. Like it's one of those things where as long as they're not hurting somebody, as long as they're not making it difficult for the other team to get off the field, I think it's a part of the college experience. It's a part of, you know, being a fan at the game. And as long as you're being safe about it, like if that's how you want to celebrate and, and the team is is open for it. Like it'd be different if, you know, if say Lance Leipold came out and said something to the fact of, hey, guys, that was fun. But let's not do that again because we want to, you know, make sure that we're being safe and don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. Like then then it's like, OK, moving forward, don't ever do it again. And and, and that'd be absolutely fine. But it's what you know, it's it is a, a great way to celebrate. It's a lot of fun. I think anybody that wants to do it that isn't, you know stick up their butt saying, you know, we're, we're so much better than this. It's like, no, no, we're really not. We're all fans. We have (laughs) so much fun doing this. If you want to get a little rowdy, you want to have a little bit of fun celebrating, then that's your prerogative. You know, that's probably the biggest thing as I'm getting further and further along and having done this for, for quite a while. Like that's the thing that kind of bugs me the most is where, you know, people are trying to tell other fans how to be a fan. Like as long as you're not, no, absolutely. As long as you're not being a jackass about it, Like do whatever you want to celebrate your team. Like that's, that's the entire point of this. So.
0: Well, and I thought you put it, I thought you put it really well on Twitter where you said something along the lines of people don't get to laugh at KU for being bad and then pick against them in a game that they're supposed to win and then get mad when their fans have the audacity to be happy about winning. I really like that right. line. The audacity to be happy about winning. Like that was that was just perfect. I, I really like that.
1: Yep, yep. And and now we have an episode title. So <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean it's it is one of those things though, like you talk about how bad this program has been for so long, right? Fans need a reason to be excited. And yes, you know, there's a big difference between excitement for a uh, coach like Les Miles coming in and thinking that you're on the way to get things turned around and being super happy about a big win. In the first, you know, the first game of a coach that everybody agrees is a world-class coach who has the ability to get this turned around, who knows how long it's going to take, but he has what it takes to actually do it. So seeing something happen early in the season where you at least now have that glimmer of hope that, hey, it's not perfect. There's a lot of problems that still have to be ironed out, but he at least showed the ability to adapt throughout the course of the game, do what they need to do to finally pull a win. Like, that is a big deal for Kansas fans. It's a big deal for the fan base to get back involved, to really start building excitement. And we've talked several times, like, this program cannot be successful without the fans buying in. And so if you have to have a few, quote-unquote, embarrassing shows of fan support like that, I'm all for it because it'll get fans excited. You can, you know, get a lot of the fans kind of upset about people getting upset about them being happy about it and get more involvement that way do whatever you have to do to get this program resurrected because it is super important right now that this football team gets good again in the next few years to at least be competing for bowl games to be a respectable team because who knows what all this expansion stuff is going to bring or what realignment is going to bring down the road you've got to get this program fixed as soon as possible so that we're not left behind when all of that rearrangement happens
0: yeah and I think a little bit to your point just regarding um, you know the state of the program and where we've been and where we want to go like you never apologize for winning, even if it's three points over a mid-tier SDS. You never apologize for winning or how you won or anything like that. And similarly, when you're in, the, when you've got the state of a program that we have, you don't apologize for rushing the field either. You go out, you get a game, you go out there, and you have some fun.
1: Right, right. Usually, the argument against rushing the field is like, act like you've been there before. Well, guess what? We haven't. <laughs> like, if, if you think about it, the students that went and rushed the field the last time that this Kansas team was good, they were still in elementary school. Like that's how bad it's been, um, and so like they haven't been here before. Like let them enjoy it. Let's have some fun, and let's get ready for next week. So, all right, let's let's look ahead to next week because obviously playing Coastal Carolina, a ranked Coastal Carolina team who absolutely slaughtered their first opponent, doesn't give you a whole lot of hope that they, that Kansas can go in and pull it off. And to be honest, I'm not sure what I was thinking letting Scott Jason come on the on the show and talk about how Coastal Carolina might be a trendy or a you know sneaky. Uh, upset candidate for Kansas um, and not really seriously challenging him on that. But it is definitely one of those things where Coastal Carolina looks to be rolling. We get to go out to Conway, South Carolina to go, you know, to finally play out there when we should have played last year. But, um, you know, so it's one of those things where, like, are you actually expecting anything? Like, what what would you consider to be a successful trip out there for Kansas?
0: <laughs> Scoring more than 17 points. Uh, yeah. I mean, just kid get- this game has, you know, 52 to 14 written all over it. So anything better than that is a, is a successful trip.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's a whole lot to do in terms of breaking it down at this point, we are going to be speaking with uh, Joe Cashin, um, you know, play by play guy for coastal Carolina. We spoke with him last year to preview the game. Uh, you know, I already have it lined up to speak with him again. Uh, so that episode will be out on Thursday. So we'll get a full, a full preview of that before we get go or before we actually have that particular game. But um, you know, this is this is an opportunity, I think, for Kansas to to really get an idea of just how far they have to go. Like yeah. nobody has any any designs at all that Kansas can be able to pull an upset or probably even keep this game close. If they can keep it close to halftime, like through halftime, I'll consider that to be a big win for Kansas. Um, You know, if they can score, you know, twenty or twenty one points somewhere in that range, I think that'll be a big win for Kansas. Show that they have progress. If they can, you know, get a couple turnovers and really you know, make it difficult, make coastal Carolina sweat for a little bit. Like, I think that that will show signs of progress. You need to show signs of progress and you need to use this as an evaluation tool to say, Hey, this is what's going wrong. This is where we need to put in the most work. And then hopefully you've built stuff up enough that, you know, by the end of the season, you can find another win or two somewhere. Um, you know, West Virginia showed the, uh, this, this last week that they're maybe not going to be quite as good as I thought they were going to be. So that, you know, kind of is an, an opportunity at the end of the season. That if you build everything right, maybe you can sneak an extra win out there at the end of the year. That's really what you should be building to towards at this point. And this will be that first, you know, measuring stick to see just how far you have to go to make that a possibility. So,
0: yeah, I think last year's game, it was 28 to three before you could blink and, um, if they could just – if they could start off a little better. And, I, you know, I'll take a look at Coast Carolina myself here on RCT here in a couple of days. But if they can start off better and, and take care of the ball, which is what they've been preaching all fall, right, take care of the ball and right. Right? have any turnovers in week one and, and they, you know, give themselves a chance going into halftime and see what the second half holds, you know, maybe we make a little progress here and and yeah. uh, and have a, have a decent game, at least for the majority of the game. But, yeah, I don't <laughs> – I don't know. I haven't seen a line for the game yet, but I, I don't expect it to be a, a very close final score.
1: Yeah. I haven't actually officially seen one yet, but I, I believe, no, I, I think last I saw that uh Costa Carolina, I think was like a 23 point favorite or something ridiculous like that. Uh, I'll have to see if I can pull it up here real quick, but yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, um, you know, I would be shocked if Kansas can actually keep it that close. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a, right now coastal Carolina is a 26 and a half point favorite over Kansas Oof, um, as four of taping. touchdowns. taping. So yeah. yeah, basically if you can keep it, if you can keep it within three touchdowns and that's gotta be a big win. So um, all right. Well, Mike uh, real quick, actually, you know what? We'll probably wait um, until next week to actually talk about this one, because I don't know that we're going to have as much to talk about after the coastal Carolina game. And two, the story is still kind of ongoing. Um, you know, news did break about realignment and expansion for the big 12, You know how the expectation is that tomorrow or today, when this episode comes out, that uh, you know BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, uh, and UCF are going to be formally applying to join the big to join the Big Twelve in the upcoming seasons. Here, Um, just real quick, because I'm sure that we'll break this down a little bit more once that has actually happened and we've you know actually had some official news to report. Um, Thoughts about those four? Is there is there one of those four that you necessarily? wouldn't want to see coming to the big 12 or a team that you should have thought been coming instead, or you kind of just, uh, let's get something expanded so that if we have to stay in the big 12, that we're at least somewhat stable.
0: Yeah. that's Probably more the latter than, than the former. Um, I mean, if you're gonna have West Virginia, I mean, you may as well have central Florida. Right. (laughs) Well, right. Right. I mean like
1: Cincinnati seems like the natural pairing and and they're the ones that I think have made the most sense for the longest time. BYU, I think is the biggest slam dunk in terms of, you know, adding value to the big 12 and kind of stabilizing it just because of how big of a nationwide following that they have. And honestly, worldwide following that they have just given, you know, that they are LDS church affiliated. um, You know, they have a whole bunch of fans pretty much everywhere. Like they're, they're probably the one brand that moves the needle that you have the opportunity to add to the big 12. Um, So like that one makes it, you know, makes perfect sense. And then if if you want to get to more, Houston and UCF, I guess, are the next biggest ones. I mean, like, I wouldn't have necessarily been upset with like a Memphis or a or or even like an Air Force. Like I, I thought that would have been an interesting an, an an interesting selection if that had happened. But you know, there's there's obviously still a long ways to go with this. Um, I am a little bit surprised by how quick they're moving, just because I figured that we would find out exactly when OU and Texas are leaving. But if you want to have those the, you know these teams ready and the the waiting period for teams coming from the American is longer than Oklahoma and Texas. So if we find out, you know, say, end of this football season, that Oklahoma and Texas are going to be gone after next football season, then we'd have to wait almost two years at that point to then yeah. add additional yeah. teams if we waited. So given that Oklahoma and Texas can't really do anything to stop us from adding teams right now to stabilize <laughs> okay. everything. Um, and yeah, because, <laughs> well, we're right. Not only, like, because not only do Oklahoma and Texas – you know, they're not a big enough voting block to stop any of this if everyone else wants to do it. I actually believe the way that the bylaws are written, they actually don't really have a say anymore in terms of voting on stuff like that. So, um, you know, Big 12, or the rest of Big 12 can pretty much do whatever they want at this point. And it seems like they're taking that first step to at least stabilize the conference so that if Kansas doesn't have a landing spot outside of it, say like the Big 10 or one of these other, you know, power conferences to go to, they're at least going to be okay with the conference that they have to stay in at that point. So... Still a lot of story to work out there to figure out exactly what all that's going to look like. I imagine we probably won't know the final destinations for a lot of particular teams that are related to this um, for at least the next two or three years. Because there's going to be a lot of additional movement to work out and kind of all the shockwaves of that. But it's definitely an interesting first step um, to kind of see what's coming next. So, all right, Mike, any other thoughts before we get out here for the day? No, I think we pretty much hit it all. All right, perfect. Well, in that case, that is going to do it for us today. Uh, Mike thank you so much for joining me thank you guys so much for listening if you haven't already please go out wherever you get your podcasts Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher any of the other million apps that are out there just search for Rock Chalk Podcast and uh, you can subscribe to us there so you get every episode as soon as it comes out Um, give us a rating and a review five stars nice comments would be absolutely great uh, but if, if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We're part of the 1012 network. You can find all the great shows we have there covering all the teams in the Big 12 and... Hopefully, some of the new teams are coming in soon too. Uh, Just go on Twitter at 1012 network. That's T E N 1 2 network. And you can get access to all the shows there. Um, You know, we're on the anchor platform. You can leave us a voicemail so we can get your voice on the show. Really do want your guys' reactions. um, You know, any kind of things that you want to talk about, questions or anything like that, just go to anchor.fm slash rock chalk dash podcast slash message. You can leave us a voicemail there. And I promise we'll get on the show. Didn't really get a chance to do. Uh, an an update on the Olympic sports there actually are still a few things going on while we're recording this I'll make sure we actually get an update whether it's a separate episode sometime in the middle of the week um, or at the beginning of our next episode but we'll get all that information to you guys because I definitely want to keep track of all of them but that's going to do it for us today thank you guys so much for listening go out and visit our sponsor symbol at simbull.app sign up using the promo code chalk12 we will see you guys next time on the Rock Talk Podcast